and off. Since I turned 40, I just don't get the results I used to get. Could be lower testosterone. Lower T. Yeah, I went through it a while back. Once you hit 40, your body has less free testosterone. I got Nugenics Total T, and it's made a huge difference for me. I've seen that ad on TV. Is it for real? Oh, yeah. The patented key ingredient is something called Testafin, which helps boost free and total testosterone levels to help you trim up and stay lean. And it's made a difference for you? Man, I feel like I'm in my 20s again. At work, in the gym, and in the bedroom. Are they still giving out complimentary bottles for people to try it for themselves? Yeah, you just need to send them a text. Text Sizzle to 42424 right now for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea, the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. Plus, text now and we'll include a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, our most powerful fat incinerator ever to help you get back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text S-I-Z-Z-L-E to 42424. That's Sizzle to 42424. Wichita's new sports leader, ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM, KKGQ, Newton. This is the Shane Dennis Show on the new ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM. We are back with another edition of the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM, Wichita's sports leader, I'm your host and producer today, Jack Johnson, and it will be the same tomorrow as Shane is away with Wichita State Baseball. I got that wrong last time. I believe I said he was away with Wichita State Baseball. It was actually basketball. I'm fairly sure it's baseball this time. You never know, of course, uh, both sports in full swing now, so I never really know if it's going to be basketball or baseball, but I'm pretty sure, as I'm sure Shane told you yesterday, or uh, the day before that, where he would be headed off to. Not to worry, though. Shane will be back in the saddle on Monday, and all things should be back to normal. Uh, Should have the usual trio or the foursome. If you had Chance Lebo in there, he'll actually be joining us a little bit later on in the show today for another Grind My Gears segment. That'll be coming up at around 1 p.m. We'll also be joined by Jamie Bluma talking some Royals baseball around 125 today. Of course, I'm old Jax Young coming up around 145. Here in about 20, 25 minutes or so, we have a very, very fun interview with a Monster Jam driver in Ashley Sanford. Uh, She's got lots of interesting things to say. Uh, Her background, why she started, you know, Driving monster trucks, I guess I should say. I didn't think of a, a different word to say or different term to say. I mean, how do you get into something like that? I'm sure she's going to let us know. And all the fun details on her coming up in about 20 to 25 minutes or so. As always, the text line is open, 316-247-0923. Again, that is 316-247-0923. Let us know any of your thoughts, your opinions, your concerns, anything you may want to talk about. And just hop on that text line. Usually you can call in, but since it's just me hosting and producing today, not really going to have that flexibility to answer the phones and be talking in the mic at the same time. Now, I have been MIA, and the reason you haven't heard from me for quite some time is that I've been down in Surprise, Arizona, covering the Kansas City Royals and their spring training Uh, If you had the chance to listen to a variety of shows on 810 or ESPN Wichita, uh, you would have been able to hear my voice uh, coming to you live from Arizona. A couple of player interviews. It it was such a great time. It was fun. was down there with Seren Petro. We had a blast. Uh, Everything went smooth. Uh, Royals PR was great. Uh, The players were great. The activity was awesome down there, and we know 
that baseball is right around the corner. Uh, that is the next thing on my docket. I guess I should also say March Madness because that's one of my favorite events to, to watch and cover as well. But in terms of the professional sports leagues out there, yeah, baseball front and center is the focus right now, at least for me. Maybe not for everybody out there. I know that NFL free agency is right around the corner. We'll likely talk about that either today or tomorrow. We certainly are going to be talking some college hoops. I'm going to go over Joe Lunardi's most recent bracketology at some point in today's show. But to kick everything off, I just wanted to give my overall thoughts on what occurred down in Surprise. Now, the Royals will have their first game on Friday against the Texas Rangers. Uh, it's the team they share the complex with. They do it every single year, and I believe uh, they'll wrap up Cactus League play with a game against the Texas Rangers. Uh, but everybody understands. Everybody knows that this team has pretty tall expectation now. Uh, not to be a 95-win team, not to be a 100-win team, uh, not to be a World Series champion. I don't think, uh, at least to most people, is the expectation. The expectation this year is just to make things interesting. Have competitive baseball from March until September. And the majority of people I've talked to, that, that's all they're asking for. All they're asking for is just keep me entertained. Give me a reason to watch this team. Give me a reason to go out to the ballpark, spend money, and watch baseball. Give me a reason to spend money on a monthly subscription to watch this team. If you don't have cable, I mean, you'd be paying for cable to get the Royals, but if you're on a streaming service like I am, you got to pay a little bit extra to watch this team. And last year uh, was a disaster in that element of the team losing 106, and then people were frustrated that uh, you got an app like Bally Sports, who wasn't that good to begin with, and then if you did get the game, the Royals were more than often losing, and losing by a lot. The games were not that competitive. Uh, and I've said this over and over again throughout the week, uh, when having the chance to talk with players and go back on the air on 810 or ESPN Wichita, that there is a lot of juice around this team. There is a lot of excitement. Uh, there is a lot of uh, known expectation, and you're going to hear me say that throughout this segment. Expectation, known expectation, expectation at that. I believe that this team is very confident in themselves. Uh, now, they haven't played their first spring training game. Who knows what the opening day roster is going to look like. I've got a blueprint, uh, but that can always change due to guys struggling or guys that go down with injuries. Things can always be shaken up a little bit. Uh, but the confidence definitely exudes from this team. And I have been down to spring training a couple of times. I didn't see confidence like this. I saw confident players. There's a difference. I think there is a big difference in seeing confident players and a confident team. Uh, there were guys, absolutely, that deserved to be uh, uh, confident in themselves. Uh, Royals players that were coming off big years. You go into camp and say, I, I can do the same thing, if not better. But I didn't see that from everybody. I didn't see a bunch of guys that were all confident together. That, that was different from what I saw in Surprise. This was a team uh, that has great chemistry right off the get-go. Uh, these are a lot of guys that have played together in the past. Uh, we found out about you know Mississippi State connection with some of the free agents coming in. I think it was Chris Stratton, Adam Frazier, and Hunter Renfro all played at Mississippi State. Uh, that factored in a little bit. You know, Michael Walker and Seth Lugo 
how guys that have a, a history have a past together. And when you're bringing in new guys and guys to lead this team, it's smart to have guys that have had previous connections, that like each other, that got along together, that played together. It makes it easier when you show up to spring training that it's not this let's all start from the bottom up. You know, everybody's got to meet everybody. There's going to be cliques. There's going to be groups that get along better than others. But everybody seemed very, very comfortable with each other. That's what I should say. And the known expectation part is an important one. Because, as I said, there's a difference between confident players and a confident team. There is a difference between expectation and known expectation. When you have expectation, that can mean anything. You know, I look at a team like the Oakland A's. Bless their hearts, their owner is somebody that should not be owning a baseball team. He is somebody that shouldn't be assembling a roster. And he is somebody that just shouldn't be in the game of baseball. I think everybody knows that. Oakland is going into spring training with some form of expectation. Uh, With what they have, the the small budget they have, the small market they're in, they do want to improve with the young guys they have on the roster because at the end of the day, those are the guys they can afford for the next handful of years until they move to Las Vegas. And at that point, if the owner starts spending, we can have a different conversation. We can have a different sit-down. But Oakland is going into spring training with expectation of we got to develop these young guys in the same way the Royals were last year. The Royals, though they could lie to you and say, well, we want to go compete for an AL Central title. We want to be a team that's in the postseason. And they said that last year. It wasn't believable because of the roster they'd assembled. And the expectation was... You get Bobby Wood Jr. to become a star, figure out what you have, and Vinny Pasquantino, MJ Melendez, Kyle Isbell, Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, Daniel Lynch, all those guys. It was their evaluation year. But there's still expectation on the valuation year. There is some form of a realistic goal that you are shooting for. Then when you have known expectation. It's coming from the national perception. It's coming from the fan base of, hey, this team can compete. This team can go far. This team can win an American League Central title. Do I believe that right now? Uh, Probably not. I think they'll be competitive for quite some time, but it's going to take a lot for this team to win a title. But the known expectation is that getting back to the players and them also not running with it and saying, yeah, we are the favorites. We should be the favorites. I thought it was great that when we were talking to some of these players, it was still, you know, we can be uh, given these lofty expectations. We still got to go out there and win these games. No, that's the the awareness I was hoping to see. Anybody can say, yeah, we want to make the playoffs, but few can really acknowledge what it takes to get to the playoffs, what you need, what you need to go right, uh, who it falls on, which guys have to step up. And I got that sense from camp the first day we arrived there. Settling into some roles. Uh, Guys that are really taking control of their spot on the team. Now, I'm not meaning, you know, which inning they're coming out of the bullpen, uh, where they fall in the lineup, which position they're going to play. That all comes in time. It's more so of who's the leaders, who are guys that are going to follow those leaders, who are the guys that young players look up to. You're starting to see that uh, be separated into camp. You're starting to see that in a good way 
guys that are just settling into either what they know or what they want to achieve. If they want to be the leader, they can step up and be that leader. I think for a handful of years in these dark years of Royals baseball, there either wasn't a leader that would step up, um, wasn't healthy enough to play an entire season, and that way you can't really be a leader from the bench when you're banged up all the time. If it was a veteran guy in a one-year deal, he knew he wasn't going to be there for quite some time. And that is another part that I need to factor in in this when going over spring training, when when going over what I saw, what I witnessed. These are guys that are committed to being here. And you certainly couldn't say that over the last couple years. You bring in guys on one-year deals, minor league deals, and they make the roster, they know they're likely not going to be in Kansas City next year. They likely know, based off the talent level, they weren't going to be there in five months. Now, that's the difference this time around. There were guys that wanted to be here. There were guys that were excited to be here. Uh, Seren Petro, uh, who you listened to on the program, had a great interview with Seth Lugo. And what caught my attention was that Seth Lugo mentioned that in free agency, he had about five suitors. And he was seriously interested in five suitors. Actually, I take that back. He said there were five he was seriously interested in. There was a lot of teams that were coveting him. But he felt like the Royals were the best fit. How many times would you have heard that over the course of a decade? You know, how many times do you think a a free agent looked at Kansas City and said, this is a place I want to be? This is a place I want to sign a long-term deal to, which is what Lugo did, which is what Waka did, which is what, you know, somebody like a Chris Stratton, a Hunter Renfro who have, you know, team options, the reason Bobby Wood Jr. signed an extension. They feel like they are seriously building something here. They are building something important here. And that is always step one. I think that is step one in building a competitive team. Uh, There's a couple different ways you can look at it in terms of the actual roster construction. No, uh, believing you can win and having guys that want to be here is step zero, really, because you can't start building a roster if you have guys that don't want to be here. I I think in in a different perspective, when you're looking at how to immediately build a winner in the same way the Marlins did last year, a Marlins team that was a little bit more aggressive in free agency. They had a tough division, unlike the Royals, and they won 80-some games. Made it into the wild card round. Got smoked by Philly, but if I told you right now that was the outcome of the Royals, 80-some wins, wild card, get spanked by somebody in the wild card round, and then your season's over, I'd take that in a heartbeat. You made it back to the playoffs. That's fun baseball for the entire season. Everybody would take that. And that's what Miami did. Miami had a bunch of guys that wanted to be there. They signed guys that were interested in being there. They assembled a good bullpen. They had young guys to build around, and the rotation shined. Now, I think the Royals look at something like that, a team that didn't need a ton, didn't need to go spend no, $200, $300 million on a free agent. They went out there and they competed in a division that was much tougher than the Royals. That is not a stretch to think it's possible. And that's where I keep going back to. I know the Marlins last year had a, a much better roster, a better rotation, uh, more guys with upside. But I look at this year for the Royals, and I look at a team like Miami, and I say, what, what really was the difference? 
what is the huge difference with these teams? Now you look at the Royals. Uh, they've got a young star, a top 20 player in baseball, and Bobby Wood Jr. You feel better at third base than you did last year. Michael Garcia, as opposed to Hunter Dozier. Vinny Pasquantino is back in the healthiest he's ever been. You've got a multiple-time all-star behind the plate in Salvador Perez. Outfield, question marks. That could be the downfall of the Royals if they can't hit. But you can expect a guy like MJ Melendez to bounce back. Kyle Isbell is one of the best defensive center fielders in the American League. Hunter Renfro is looking to bounce back. Now, that's a lot of what-ifs there. And I don't like playing the the shoulda, woulda, coulda, or the what-if game. But it's better than it was last year. And I look at Miami's roster. I look at Kansas City's roster. A lot of it is hot starts. Can't bury yourself in April and May. A lot of it is staying healthy. And a lot of it is making sure if you go into a slump, you do struggle. It's not for an extended period of time. Because if it goes on for an extended period of time, then all of this was, you know, not worth much. Back to that known expectation part, they're all aware of this. They're aware of the difficulty of April. They're aware of the Royals' past history in April. They're aware that most of the bad teams in Kansas City have their season wrapped up in the first five to six, seven series of the year. They don't get many breaks. First two series of the year, division winners from a year ago, Minnesota and Baltimore. That's tough. That's tough to go into, but it's also a good challenge. We know baseball is a marathon. We know that it is a walk, not a sprint. Teams can be hot in the first half and completely tail off and bottom out in the second. This team, though, has raised the floor enough where I think it is possible. I don't think there is going to be a month this year where they are so far out of it, it doesn't even matter standings-wise. I could always be wrong, and I'll knock on wood to to avoid that. To me, though, I I think this team is well-rounded enough, has brought in enough pieces that they can hang in there. I'm not going to go out there and say this is a 85, 86, 87 win team, but they're fortunate to have a weak division. They are fortunate that weak division did not do much in terms of rebuilding their roster, bringing in new free agents. Chicago, who lost 101 games last year, decided to sell more, and they're going to be selling a chunk of this season. You can cross them off the list. Cleveland, a team that has always given Kansas City problems. They're going to be mostly the same team, but they're built around Jose Ramirez offensively and not much after that. You know, you can have your pieces like a Josh Naylor, a Stephen Kwan, but there's also a lot worse offensive producers in that lineup than in some positions the Royals have. Rotation, bullpen, good. You got to make sure you bury Cleveland. Detroit kind of like the Royals, had a aggressive offseason. They went out there and added some pieces, and they've got more young talent than the Royals. They've got a better bullpen. Uh, they can have a better rotation. Offensively, though, I'm taking the Royals' lineup. Detroit's lineup was terrible last year, and I don't think it's going to be that much better. And then you get to Minnesota. They are the top dog. They should be the top dog. They are the alpha of this division, even if they don't win 90 games. Sonny Gray walked away, signed with St. Louis. 
You know, you look at uh, Kenta Maeda. He's now in Detroit. You still have Pablo Lopez, dark horse for a Cy Young. You have Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober, Louis Varland, young arms that can take you the distance. But the Royals were fortunate that in the offseason they were so aggressive, the American League Central sat back on their hands a little bit. No, this is a division they feel like is for the taking. They feel like it's a division that they can go out there and seriously compete for. They do not feel feel like they are that intimidated or that scared by the top half of this division. I mean, you lost 106 last year. There's not going to be many people taking you seriously, and I don't think it matters to them. I don't think they are looking for people to pick them to be a division winner. They are, there are more people out there acknowledging their existence which is important. You want to be able to acknowledge that existence. But it's also about winning games, and they know how important that is. You can only get the support of the fan base. You can only get the praise you're looking for if you actually go out there and win those games. Winning those games is so simple-sounding. It really is. Just go out there and win. It's tough to do, though, for 162, and the Royals haven't done that for... Going up on seven years now. Six years, I should say. Should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of excitement. Can't wait for the game tomorrow. Believe the first game you can catch on the Bally Sports app. I'm still trying to figure out uh, the Amazon Prime situation as to you know where you can stream those games. I think Bally Sports, the app you used last year, will be broadcasting the game on Sunday. So you can check out the Royals for the first time in person coming up in a few days. Well, we're going to take our first break of the show here on The Shane Dennis Show. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by a very, very special guest, Ashley Sanford of Monster Jam. Can't wait to get her over the airwaves so you guys can hear all about her background and such a unique story that she has. That's coming up on The Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. You're listening to The Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. What do people with blindness or low vision need to live to the fullest? Just ask them. It's skill development, scientific breakthroughs, knowledge-based jobs, and the same opportunities as everyone else. When you give to Envision, whether it be your time, donations, or your engagement, you make it all possible. That's because at Envision, they don't focus on the disability. They value the ability. They choose not to envision a world without sight, but to envision a world where people who are blind or visually impaired are empowered to reach their full potential. Learn more at EnvisionUS.com. X-Cash Blitz family of instant tickets from the Kansas Lottery can multiply your winnings up to $300,000, which begs the question, what will you do with all that cash? Tim, are you here? I'm in the cash fort. You built a fort out of money? Well, I might as well put our X-Cash Blitz winnings to good use. Hey, Dan. Oh, hi, Sarah. How many people are in the cash fort? It's a small get-together. I forgot to invite you. We're roommates. Play X-Cash Blitz and bring on the cash. See kslottery.com for details. Hi, I'm Capri, and a little thing I love about the Chick-fil-A Grill Spicy Deluxe is the chicken. They actually put it on the grill, cooked it in the sauce. It's definitely a good grilled spicy sandwich. Hey, I'm Michelle, and a little thing I love about the Chick-fil-A Grilled Spicy Deluxe is it's spicy and it's full of flavor. When you pair that with the kale crunch salad, it's just good. Order a Grilled Spicy Deluxe Sandwich on the Chick-fil-A app today. Available for a limited time. Real guests paid for their testimonials. 
This segment is brought to you by KDOT. As your speedometer creeps up, so does your risk of crashing. Don't try to save time speeding. Save a heartbreak by driving safely and make it there in one piece. Get ready for an adrenaline-packed weekend. The 67th Annual NAIA Men's Wrestling National Championship is coming to Hartman Arena February 29th through March 2nd. Witness the nation's top wrestlers battling for glory. Don't miss out on the action. Mark your calendars February 29th through March 2nd. For more information and tickets, go to HartmanArena.com. Join us at Hartman Arena for the wrestling showdown of the year. Proudly presented by Visit Wichita. Beware of the fog. You're a Swiss from the right wing. The Kansas Jayhawks hit the hardwood every game right here. What ball movement. They share it and they throw it down. There's nothing like Kansas basketball. Part of the journey all season long on your home for Kansas Jayhawk basketball. Saturday, the Jayhawks are home to entertain the Texas Longhorns. Coverage begins at 5 on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. We are back here on the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM, Wichita's sports leader. I'm your host and producer today, Jack Johnson. For the first time in today's show, we're going to hop on the phone line as we are joined by a very, very special guest and Monster Jam driver, Ashley Sanford. Ashley, thanks for taking the time to come on the show this afternoon. Hello, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. We always love of having fun guests here on the Shane Dennis Show. Now, to kick things off, Ashley, I think everybody wants to know, how did you get started in competing in something like Monster Jam? <laughs> right, not the average career path. <laughs> but, yeah, I have that need for speed, and it's been around since I truly can remember. I owe it all to my dad. He really instilled it in me. He was a recreational racer. I grew up being such a fan of him and watching him compete in sand drag racing out here in Southern California, where I'm from. And I just had the bug, and I wanted to get behind the wheel. So I started off sand dragging on quads. I made my way into dragsters by the time I was 16. I was actually competing in the blown alcohol class, which I was going over 150 miles per hour at 16 years old. So I truly was just, I, I always wanted to go faster. And so that instilled in me just the dedication to go for it. And I had the support from my family, which was everything. And so I became a first-generation driver and was able to compete in the NHRA and go in top fuel drag racing, the fastest class on the planet, which was so incredible. But I was always a fan of Monster Jam. I grew up going with my family, but I just didn't have that connection of how to get in. And what I did was I truly just went for it. I sent in a resume and said, hey, this is what I've done. I would love the opportunity to be behind the wheel of a Monster Jam truck. And here I am today now in my second year competing with Monster Jam in Megalodon. It's a dream come true. Uh, you've got this this daredevil personality, far uh, braver than I could ever be, uh, driving something like that. Uh, uh, talk about you know, before you know, doing an event like this. Do you get nervous? To, does your blood start pumping? You got that adrenaline going through? Or are you one of those people that it's, hey, I've done it so many times now, I don't even get nervous? 
You know, it's really a combination of both for me because I am, no matter what, I will always be giddy and excited to be behind the wheel. So there's always a little bit of those anxious butterflies, I like to say, of, you know, just wanting to do your very best out there, especially for the fans. Um, So I get that. But then also, I am pretty calm, cool, collected. I like get in a meditative state almost. And so it's really just a perfect blend of the two. Now, I know when you when you get your start, you kind of gave your background a little bit on this, but you had to have some form of an inspiration, you know, something that, that really fueled you to get into something like this, into Monster Jam. You said that, you know, it was something you always wanted to do, but were there some people you looked up to that really, you know, made you kind of model yourself after, if you will? Well, I mean, for me personally, I really looked up to my dad as a whole, mm-hmm. and even though he wasn't a professional racer, I saw his passion and I saw his desire to go for it. And he made it happen with working two full-time jobs. He made that happen for himself. And it really inspired me to go for it. And that's where it really started for me was the passion. It was a hobby that I now am fortunate enough to call a career. And so that's where it really was instilled in me. But going out and watching Monster Jam, I'd have to say Tom Mentz was always that person maximum destruction max d that just blew my mind and (laughs) he was so cool i wanted i wanted the opportunity to do what he was doing we're here with ashley sanford monster jam driver and so i read this about you ashley at the fastest you've been 323 (laughs) miles per hour is that first off is that correct that is correct i I wanted to make sure i got the totals on that just so i could say it out loud 323 For those of us that have never even come close to speed like that, I mean, if you even got, no, 100, 150 miles per hour slower than that, we're still breaking the law driving a normal car here. So for those (laughs) of us that have never reached that type of speed, describe the feeling of that. It is truly incredible. It is, I for me, like, here I am clearly an adrenaline junkie. I've loved roller coasters my whole life. And for me, the best way to explain it to someone is being on the most powerful roller coaster that you're in complete control of. And it is. It's just a slingshot on the ground. It's a rocket ship on the ground. It is just, it'll make you feel like you ran a marathon in three seconds. Because not only are we hitting 300 plus miles per hour, we're doing it in just a few seconds. It's insane. Yeah, I, I don't know how, how any vehicle can go that fast. I, I mean, you have to drive normal cars throughout the day whenever you're getting from place to place. It's not always driving fast cars and Monster Jam stuff. So when you're driving, how much different is it for you? I've always wondered that. For somebody that, you know, like NASCAR drivers and Formula One drivers and monster truck drivers, when you get in the normal car, what's it like for you? Do you ever have this feeling of, man, I'm going way too slow right now? Yeah, no, you're you're correct. There are moments where it definitely feels like going a lot slower. But also at the same time, it's funny because when I'm in my normal vehicle, which I just drive a forerunner, I am actually, I'm still close to my roots in the off-roading community. So I'm not even in any kind of sports car, fast car. But um, yeah, no, it's funny because I find myself more scared in my daily vehicle than I ever have in any of the race cars I've ever been in. <laughs> because, yep, you know, California highways, they're, they're mm-hmm. scarier than racetracks. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're here with Ashley Sanford, Monster Jam driver, here on the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita. All right, Ashley, for somebody that you know may be a young person out there wanting to get into a field like this, uh, what could you tell them about what they want to do? Maybe for the, the folks here listening in Wichita that want to get into a background like this, how do they go about it? Yeah, you know, it really is just taking the action towards making it happen. And that starts with reaching out, looking at what's going on in your community. You know, are there any events they could go to? Learn more, you know, really indulge yourself in whatever you're interested in and make sure it fits, make sure it feels right. And if you want to learn more, you're going to learn more. (laughs) That's just how it's going to happen. And so, Stay passionate and, you know, really just believe in yourself because if you're passionate about something, I'm the biggest person in preaching this. There's a reason you're passionate about it. I do believe we all have a purpose here. So go after it and, you know, have fun with it because we have one life here and it's the short life. So why not go for it and have fun? Now, you, you've got this job as being an absolute daredevil doing all of these awesome things, but I've also read you're a big-time dog person. Uh, tell us a little bit about yeah. that, uh, what you love about your dog, and you know, maybe just describe more about uh, your relationship. Yeah, no, it's funny. I'm actually a certified dog trainer. Wow. I am all about dogs. I've grown up with always having multiple dogs in the house. It was always like a zoo in my household. Um, yeah, down to two right now, but two old ladies. I just, I think dogs are best thing that anyone could ever have in their life because they teach you compassion they teach you unconditional love and they really just teach you to just let it go let the little things go sometimes and just enjoy the moment and so I really they connected for me to get down to earth sometimes when I've had a rough day so I just think dogs are the best but um yeah hey everyone if this isn't your sign go get yourself a dog (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you I will stand on that hill all day. (laughs) And lastly, Ashley, one last question for you. We really, really appreciate your time. We're here with Ashley Sanford, Monster Jam driver. If there's one memory so far uh, that you have from Monster Jam, maybe just in your first year, or it can be before Monster Jam, just kind of getting in this background, what's the one memory that sticks out to you? Oh, you know, it would have to be actually my training process before competing, getting to go to Monster Jam University and learn how to drive the trucks with Tom Mentz as my teacher, the person that I did look up to. It was such a surreal experience and really just, you know, got the, I mean, I already had the fire inside of me, but it just ignited it in a whole other way once I got started in that position and so I mean really the rest is history from there well Ashley thanks so much for your time we really really appreciate it and good luck moving forward thank you so much I really appreciate it too and hope to see some people out in Kansas this weekend absolutely there is Ashley Sanford monster jam driver just you know, unbelievable, getting up the speeds of 323 miles per hour, having this background, so awesome, uh, and she is absolutely somebody that you should be rooting for and go out and check her or check her out and see her you know, driving at Monster Jam here. That that just sounds like a lot of fun. Unfortunately, uh, me up here in Kansas City uh, won't get that chance, but strongly urge you to go down there. Uh, she just seems like an awesome person, somebody that's so easy to root for. Also, certified dog trainer, dog person, who 
doesn't want to root for a dog person. That's just awesome. Well, uh, thank you to Ashley, and thank you for everybody uh, setting that up. Zach Shanline, one of those guys uh, that was able to get this interview in place. We're going to take our second break of the show. When we come back, some college hoops talk right here on The Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. The Shane Dennis Show will be right back on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. What do people with blindness or low vision need to live to the fullest? Just ask them. It's skill development, scientific breakthroughs, knowledge-based jobs, and the same opportunities as everyone else. When you give to Envision, whether it be your time, donations, or your engagement, you make it all possible. That's because at Envision, they don't focus on the disability. They value the ability. They choose not to envision a world without sight, but to envision a world where people who are blind or visually impaired are empowered to reach their full potential. Learn more at EnvisionUS.com. Toppers Plus Truck Accessories has moved to a new location at 333 Northwest Street. We're ready to hook you up for trailer season, whether you're towing your boat, cycle, RV, or lawn equipment. Toppers Plus has receiver hitches, goosenecks, fifth wheel hitches, brake controllers, and trailer wiring. Choose from top brands like B&W Hitches, Made in Kansas, or Reese, Kurt, and Draw Type. Hitches matter. Get trailer season ready at Toppers Plus. New location, 333 Northwest Street or toppersplusks.com. Make your truck work for you. Grilling never smelled so good. Introducing new Kingsford Signature Flavors. Made with 100% real spices, Kingsford Signature Flavors Flavor Boosters can be added to any pre-lit charcoal or bought pre-mixed with Kingsford Charcoal Briquettes to add a whole new rich, full-bodied flavor and aroma to your cookout. For flavor you can see, smell, and taste, new Kingsford Signature Flavors. Kingsford.com. Attention lovebirds, it's Nathan from Brunel's Fine Jewelry and Design. Ready to surprise your wife with a stunning ring upgrade? For couples celebrating years of love and commitment, updating her ring can be a deeply meaningful way to commemorate your journey together. Our jewelers at Brunel's excel in transforming outdated into extraordinary. Whether upgrading the diamond or setting her cherished stone into a modern piece, we will ensure her ring shines as beautifully as the day she said I do. Visit us today on the northeast corner of Rock and Central or schedule an appointment online at Brunel's.com. Today's quick thinking shapes tomorrow's success. For your business, that means on-the-spot decisions, dependable support, on-time fulfillment. And while you can't slow down the hours in your day, you can partner with a bank that keeps you one step ahead by doing business the way you do, with excellent service and attention to detail. Because understanding there's nothing more important than your today, that's our tradition. Intrust Bank. Tradition for today. Member FDIC. ESPN Bet is now live in Kansas as the official sports book of ESPN. ESPN Bet is the only place to find daily exclusives and offers with your favorite ESPN personalities and shows. Sign up today. New users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Find all your favorite markets and bets like in game wagering, cross sport parlays, teasers, and all the props you can handle. That's ESPN Bet. Download today. What a play. Must be 21 plus. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We're back here on the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. Wichita's sports leader. I'm your host and producer today, Jack Johnson. Same thing for tomorrow as well. Uh, Shane will be back in action next week. So if you're tired of hearing about my voice only... 
let's see here, an hour and 20 minutes and then tomorrow's show to go. So in total, three hours and 20 minutes left of hearing me host the Shane Dennis Show. I, I miss Shane just as much as you guys do. But uh, if you do miss Shane, want to give him uh, some words on the text line, you can do that at 316-247-0923. That is 316-247-0923. Well, it's not the most updated. Uh, Joe Lunardi's most recent bracketology, uh, mainly because the big thing that happened over the last few days is UConn got their ass kicked by Creighton, but not that it really changed up much. I, I think UConn still is the number one overall seed. Creighton was uh, very highly ranked in the Ken Palm ratings. Shouldn't be much of a concern there. I, I think UConn is still the number one seed. That would have been the only thing that changed my opinion was if, you know, Purdue were to leapfrog them and UConn were to drop because that loss. I don't think they would have, though. That's only UConn's third loss, I think, of the season and their first loss since mid-December. They were on a 14-game winning streak, if I'm not mistaken. But Joe Lunardi has the full break at, breakdown of the brackets, which are the number one seeds in each region. Uh, where some of these Big 12 and SEC teams stack up, because I know for a lot of people listening, KUK State and Missouri are the teams that you care about. They're the ones that you view. They're the ones that you listen about. You try to find all the content about. So I'm sure you're wondering uh, where some of the teams stack up. I know for Missouri, uh, not going to be happening this year. They still have not won an SEC conference game for K-State, looking less and less likely after losing back-to-back games last week. Uh, but we'll still see if K-State has a chance to squeak in uh, with a hot stretch to close out the regular season and then the Big 12 tourney. But as for Joe Lunardi's most recent bracketology, here is what he has. He's got UConn as the number one overall seed in the East region. That'll go through Boston. The number one seed in the Midwest region, which will go through Detroit, he's got the Purdue Boilermakers and Zach Eady. The number one seed on the West, or in the West region, I should say, going through Los Angeles, the Arizona Wildcats out of the Pac-12, and soon to be the Big 12 next year. And lastly, the number one seed in the South going through Dallas is the Houston Cougars of the Big 12. Let's start it up top with the East region and who Joe Lunardi has right now. In fact, let's go one step further. Let's go to uh, the first four games, because I know there's a lot of sickos out there uh, that love to gamble and bet on the first four games in Dayton, Ohio. But here is what you'd be looking at if the season ended today. You'd have Seton Hall and Chris Beard's Ole Miss running Rebels fighting to get in as an 11 seed. So Seton Hall and Ole Miss playing in the first four games in Dayton, Ohio. The other 11 seeds, and this one will be fascinating in my opinion, just because we were so used to this team being a one seed for a handful of years due to their weak scheduling. An 11-seeded Butler team playing to get into the NCAA tournament against an 11-seeded Gonzaga team. Mark Fuse bunch dropping a ton of spots. They did have a big win in Lexington at Rupp Arena against Kentucky. But other than that, uh, Gonzaga has not fared well this year. They would be a first four team in Dayton, Ohio, if the season ended today. Then you look at the 16 seeds. I know a lot of people aren't going to know enough about them. I'm not fully familiar with them just yet, but Norfolk State and North Dakota playing in as 16 seeds, and then Eastern Kentucky and Merrimack 
uh, will be the other 16 seeds. Again, this is all just predictions right now and where Joe Lou Nardi has a lot of these teams in the region. Now, I, I have gotten criticism for this before. I have been asked this before. I say Lunardi. Lunardi, I think, is how a lot of people say it. Um, Lunardi, Lunardi, you know how I'm saying it, so maybe I should just stick to saying bracketology so I don't butcher his name over and over again. I know a handful of times I've, I've changed my opinion if it's Lunardi or Lunardi. I, I think I am going to go with Lunardi here. Yeah, I'm going to go with Lunardi. I keep saying Lunardi. It's Lunardi. Okay, so back to the East region. Here is who the number one seed uh, would be going up against. That's UConn. That's the number one overall seed. I do not expect that to change, barring some collapse by Dan Hurley's squad. Dan Hurley's squad uh, is too loaded. They're too experienced. They've got the championship pedigree. I know there hasn't been a back-to-back winner since Florida in the mid-2000s. Still, uh, this is a bunch that is going to make a deep run. I I don't know who would be the team to slow them down. It certainly isn't going to be Southern University. Uh, They would get the weakest 16 seed, and I do not think the UConn Huskies would struggle with them whatsoever. I know last year Purdue uh, falls to Farley Dickinson. I don't see one happening this year. Too many good one seeds in the bracket. At the 8-9 matchup, Florida Atlantic and TCU. Uh, Florida Atlantic, of course, uh, making a run to the Final Four last year. They took down Kansas State in the Elite Eight. Different squad this year, though, and I think we expected something like this from Florida Atlantic, a team that has a Cinderella run. When you then put that level of expectation on them, they were top 25 to begin the year. Hell, I think they were top 10. They were bound to disappoint. Now, they were an 8 seed last year or 8 or a 9 seed last year, and they made that run, so they might be in their wheelhouse. They might be in their comfort zone, but they'd be taking on TCU as a 9 seed And, folks, this TCU team, they've got the pieces. They've got the pieces to make a deep run. I really do believe that. This is a physical team. This is a tough team. They are a quick team. They turn you over. I do not think that would be a good matchup for Florida Atlantic. But whoever the 8 seed is or the 9 seed is getting TCU, they are going to be in for a lot of trouble. The 5 seed in the region right now per bracketology is Wisconsin going up against Indiana State. Wisconsin has confused me a little bit. They never changed their style. Wisconsin has been the same team for two decades. A bunch of tall white guys, slow white guys, guys that shoot the three. Uh, They're so fundamentally sound. They've never changed how they've recruited. They are the exact same team every single year. And barring that one unbelievable run they had with Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker's squad that knocked off the undefeated Kentucky Wildcats, and uh, that was Carl Anthony Towns' team, that was the platoon team, Wisconsin's not a team that usually fares that well in the NCAA tournament. Uh, They wouldn't shock me if they were a first-round exit. They're trending down right now per bracketology. I could see an upset. I also want to see how they fare in the Big Ten tournament. That's that's where I'm at with the Badgers. The four seed in this East region, Auburn. Auburn is another team uh, with Bruce Pearl. I I don't see as somebody that's going to make a deep run in March. They they always seem to surprise you early on, and then when things get tough in February and March, they tail off a little bit. As a four seed, that doesn't scare me that much. I think UConn would be doing backflips if they had an Auburn team trending downward as a four seed. Appalachian State, uh, the projected 13 seed right now in the East region. Colorado State going up against the winner of that Seton Hall and Ole Miss game. Not too much to bring you on that. Colorado State hopped in the top 25 a handful of times this year. Uh, fun story last year. Uh, they were a fun story, and I believe the year before that, uh, they were a pretty good story. So it's quietly a team that has found itself in the NCAA tournament 
a handful of times. That is a team that maybe could be a Cinderella story, but again, I really do like Chris Beard's Ole Miss squad. I think if they won that play-on game, assuming they would be in the first four in Dayton, Ohio, they could be one of those sneaky, sweet 16-11 seed teams to make it all the way there. The three seed, that would be the team standing in their way, Iowa State. UConn would not be thrilled about that. This Iowa State team is so damn good, they can still win the Big 12. They had a chance to beat Houston earlier in the week, but that was also in Houston, where the Cougars have been so, so, so unbeatable uh, for a handful of years now. Iowa State is a three seed. Almost seems criminal. If they win the Big 12, I'd imagine they're going to grab a two seed, might even grab a one seed, depending on how many games they win the rest of the way. Uh, They would get Vermont out of the American East per Joe Lunardi's bracketology right now. The seven seed, the Florida Gators, they were in a dogfight with Alabama yesterday, uh, lost in overtime to Nate Oates' squad. They would get Nevada as the 10 seed, and then North Carolina as a two seed, taking on Colgate as a 15 seed. I'm not sure why North Carolina would be a two seed right now. I think they're probably going to be a three seed when it's all said and done. Uh, They did have that big win against Duke. They still have to go, though, to Cameron Indoor. They've had some bad, bad losses over the last month and a half uh, that are going to come up on their resume when it's all said and done. So that is the East region. For you Kansas fans, this is the region you want to pay close attention to. The West If the Jayhawks do not win the Big 12 and they don't do that well in the Big 12 tournament, I'd imagine this is the region they're going to be uh, staying in. So the West region going through Los Angeles, the Arizona Wildcats will be the number one seed taking on the winner of Norfolk State and North Dakota. Uh, That would be in Salt Lake. So Arizona would be that team to have home home cooking, home court advantage for uh, the entire NCAA tournament. Even going into Phoenix, I think that's why Arizona be licking their chops as a one seed. They would have to go from Salt Lake to Los Angeles to Phoenix if they were to get all the way to the Final Four. So right now they're the one seed in Los Angeles. Uh, the 8-9 and nine seed, Oklahoma versus Boise State. Oklahoma trending downward after their loss to Kansas on Saturday. Boise State trending upward at this point in time. Uh, Oklahoma... I don't know. I don't think this is a team that is bound to even get into the second round. I like what Porter Moser's done with this squad. I also think they're banged up. They are banged up as hell, and that should be alarming uh, to guys like Todd Lebo up here in the studio, who is a big-time Oklahoma Sooners fan. I just don't see Oklahoma being a team that that is even going to get past a team like Boise State, if that is the matchup. I know right now it's still a ways off. We've got a month to go before the NCAA tournament. But it always is interesting to see what some of these matchups are like. And some of these, I do feel like, are going to be correct. These are going to be the teams that play each other. That Oklahoma-Boise State matchup, if the season ended today, I'm taking the Broncos at this point in time. Clemson would be the five seed going up against Samford as the 12 in Spokane. Creighton would be the four seed going up against UC Irvine. Scary, scary four seed there in Creighton. We know... That McDermott squad in the past have been able to really surprise some people, uh, give a lot of one seeds a scare. Hell, they gave Kansas in the year they won the national championship maybe their toughest test of anybody. Uh, I know that the North Carolina game was thrilling. The Providence game was thrilling. That Creighton game was a nail-biter for sure, and Creighton always finds a way uh, to make some form of an upset happen in the NCAA tournament. If I was Arizona, I would not like the fact that the four seed in Creighton, which very much could change. Like I said, uh, this is not updated, or it might have been, it might have been the day of, it might have been the morning of that Creighton that night 
blew the doors off UConn, which has not happened a lot in the last two years. Creighton dismantled Dan Hurley's squad. And college basketball is is weird this year. A lot of the top dogs have just weird losses, although Creighton, losing to Creighton is not a bad loss in any way, shape, or form. This is a team that I think if they are a three or four seed, they're more like a two seed. I think they are that good, and they could make a deep run in March this year. The sixth seed in the region will be BYU, who Kansas will see coming up on Tuesday, I think it is, at Allen Fieldhouse. BYU would be taking on a Texas A&M team. I actually will say at this point, I don't think A&M makes the tournament. They lost to Arkansas a few days back. Uh, They have completely uh, crumbled here down the stretch. They were firmly in the NCAA tournament. Now they are lucky to even be a first four in. It wouldn't surprise me if they take Ole Miss's spot as a a play-in team, somebody that has to go to the first four in Dayton, Ohio, or they're just not in the NCAA tournament at all. Neither of those options would surprise me with the Aggies. They are a team that is pummeling in the wrong direction. Duke, who is trending a bit upward, they beat Miami last night by 30. Uh, They are the three seed right now in the West region per Joe Lunardi's bracketology. Charleston, the 14th seed. Then in Omaha, you'd have seven-seeded South Carolina and 10-seeded New Mexico. And the two-seed out of the Big 12 being the Kansas Jayhawks taking on Eastern Washington, who the Jayhawks saw a few years back, I think, as a 13 seed. Those were the Groves brothers, who then transferred to Porter Moser's Oklahoma Sooners. Kansas is a two seed in the Omaha region, feels likely at this point in time. It would take Kansas winning out and, hell, maybe at least get into the championship game in the Big 12, and then Houston not to grab that one seed in the South region in Dallas. I think their hope would to be be a two or a one in the Dallas region. I don't think they want to go all the way to L.A. if they are to make it to the second weekend. Omaha is not going to be an issue. It'll be Omaha whether they're in the west or the south region. But right now, I think that's a matchup you like. I really do. I think if this region for Kansas was to be exactly all these teams, which we all know it's not, but just for the hypothetical here, if it were all these teams – I think Kansas loves that draw. South Carolina is a good team. They are a good SEC team. They're also not like the the seven seed you got in Arkansas last year who had a couple of lottery picks. They were a team that had Final Four expectation going into the year, and even this year Arkansas had expectation, but they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. South Carolina is a team that is overachieved. Just simply put, they are an overachieving bunch, and some of those teams that they have knocked off don't look as good now. The SEC, for that matter, hasn't looked as strong in the last couple of weeks. So if you're Kansas and you looked at an Eastern Washington-South Carolina matchup in Omaha, you know, right off the bat that first weekend, I think you feel good about getting to the West region. And then you, know, you go back to last year, Arizona lost in the first round. Do you feel like Arizona – is bound to make a deep run. I I think at this point, Arizona's always that team everybody falls in love with in the regular season, and then it goes south. Then it really becomes an issue. And that, to me, is where you factor in a lot with this West region. That, to me, is when you go to past seasons, how far they make it, do they really have that deep run, that championship pedigree? So if you're Kansas and you get past the Eastern Washington and the South Carolina, 
Now you're looking at a matchup in L.A. against either a BYU, AM, Duke, or Charleston. Let's say it's scratch, and you get Duke. Does this Duke team scare you a lot? I mean, you know my opinions on the Duke Blue Devils. I think this is an uber-talented team. I also think Kansas matches up well with them. I think this is a good matchup for Kansas if we do get Duke and KU in the NCAA tournament. And then somehow, some way, you get to the Elite Eight with this region. Arizona, Oklahoma, Boise State, Clemson, Sanford, Creighton, UC Irvine. I think Creighton would be the most likely team to emerge out of that spot. And then you got a two versus a four in the West region to get to the Final Four. That, to me, feels like a good region if you are a Kansas fan. There's a lot of people that aren't Kansas fans listening, so maybe you wouldn't want that region for the Jayhawks, or maybe you don't even think this team is capable of making it out of the first weekend. I certainly would not blame you there. Going on to the South region, the Houston Cougars, second straight year they would be a one seed, taking on Sam Houston. So a battle of Texas schools here. That would occur in Memphis. And then Washington State and Northwestern as the 8 and the 9. See, that's another thing here about a Big 12 team winning the conference. I've seen a lot of Joe Lunardi's bracketologies, and Washington State and Northwestern consistently play each other. Washington State is trending upward, but you talk about a team that is rarely in spots like this. And Northwestern, another team that I'm just not as high on coming out of the Big 10. That would be a very favorable first weekend for the Cougars. 16 seed, and then Washington State or Northwestern, that feels pretty easy for the Houston Cougars to move on to the Sweet 16. But if it is an Iowa State or a Kansas coming out victorious in the Big 12, that's when things look a lot different. The five seed in the South region right now in bracketology is Dayton taking on McNeese State, the four seed in Illinois, going up against an Ivy League school in Yale. Man, I, I love Dayton. I think Dayton is a team that is in Cinderella conversations here. Now, maybe they've already had enough runs in the NCAA tournament that you can't really call them a Cinderella team, but they've been as good as a, a top, you know, 16 seed, overall 16 seed, you know, in that three to four range, a handful of years. This Dayton team not too long ago was you know, a top 10 team in the nation, not this year, but in past years. They've really built themselves up as one of those scary teams in college basketball, and I think that they have that power to become a Cinderella bunch this year. I'm not super high on Illinois. You know, the the, the Terrence Shannon situation has been, you know, I think, a dark cloud over the program, and I don't think they're really trending in any direction right now. They, they seem pretty stagnant at this point in time. Uh, the sixth seed right now in the South region, Texas Tech going up against the winner of that Butler and Gonzaga game. I like Tech. Uh, Texas Tech dismantled, you know, whooped up on Kansas uh, last week, beat them by 30 in Lubbock. I also think Texas Tech lacks a, a really good go-to guy. I think they are well-rounded. Now, I like Pop Isaacs. I think that, you know, somebody like a Joe Toussaint can be that go-to guy. I think they're just more well-balanced, which can be good. I don't know. that There's something about Tech not having that elite, elite score that can concern me a little bit. I do like the matchup against Purdue and Gonzaga, but then if they were to get to that next game and it's Alabama or High Point, which right now is the 314 matchup in the South region, I'm taking Alabama. Alabama is long. They are loaded. They are physical. They're nasty a little bit, 
they're they're a dirty team, so that would be a some kind of boxing match between Texas Tech and Texas Tech and Alabama. I'm taking Nate Oates there. Now, this is just a long, athletic, talented, loaded bunch the Crimson Tide have. Uh, they would be one of my sleeper teams to get to the Elite Eight in that South region if things stand the way they are right now. The seven seed would be Michigan State going up against 10 seed in Mississippi State, and the two seed, Shaka Sparts, Marquette, Golden Eagles against Moorhead State. I'll tell you this to close out the South region, never bet on Marquette. Never, ever, ever bet on Marquette. Shaka Smart will find a way to lose in the first weekend. We all know it's coming. And surprise, surprise, Tom is those Michigan State Spartans are seven seed. God, it feels like they're a seven seed every single year. Now, last year, they might have been a 10. They're anywhere from a 7, 8, 9, or 10 seed now. Gone are the days of them being a 2, 3, and a 4 seed. They just kind of fall into that wheelhouse of a 7, 8, or a 9. And they can be that team that suddenly finds themselves in the Sweet 16. And if it was Michigan State and Marquette, I am putting all of the money down on the Spartans and not shock a smart squad. And lastly, where Joe Lunardi has everybody in the Midwest region, Purdue's region, Here's what he's got. The Boilermakers in the one seed out of Indianapolis taking on the winner of Eastern Kentucky and Merrimack. I would love this matchup for Purdue if they're to make a deep run. I know Purdue's got their criticisms. They are a team that has so much pressure on them. I mean, even just to get out of the first weekend. right? They not only have to win their first game, they got to win their second. It has to be a Final Four team or bust. And I think they'll be fine this year. No way in hell they lose to a 16 seed two years in a row. I'll just play the odds there. Then they get a terrible Texas team. And I mean a terrible Texas team. I don't even know how they're an eight seed. And then a god-awful Virginia team is the nine. That would be the most glorious region, most glorious first weekend you could cook up for a one seed. UT and Virginia. Tony Bennett squad who can't score more than 45 points in a game. Man, if that is who Purdue draws, give me Purdue in the Elite Eight automatically. Just just Sharpie. Seth Davis, Sharpie. Purdue in the Elite Eight playing in Detroit. Uh, That would be my take right now if that's the first weekend matchup for the Boilermakers. The five seed in Spokane would be Kentucky, who all of a sudden looks very vulnerable. Last month and a half has been ugly for them. You know, they uh, had that big win against Auburn. Not high on Auburn. And then Kentucky follows it up by losing in the buzzer last night to LSU. 18-8 and eight on the year, 18-9 and nine it might be. I don't think Kentucky's going to be a five seed. I think they might slip as far to a six or a seven. Maybe if they can get hot last couple games of the regular season, I can see them getting into that four to five range. Right now, though, five seed's pretty weak in the Midwest region. 12 seed South Florida though I do think the Wildcats should be fine there. San Diego State, who is trending upward, they are the four-seeder going up against Akron, a surprise Akron team. Not sure I could take them as a Cinderella this year. I do like San Diego State. They're always defensive-minded first. Uh, They are a very physical bunch, kind of similar to that uh, Texas Tech and Alabama matchup. Boy, they can beat you up. The sixth seed in the region, this would be in Omaha St. Mary's out of Gonzaga's conference going up against Grand Canyon as the 11, and then Baylor. As a three-seed, should be a top-half finisher in the Big 12 going up against Oakland, also trending up as a 14-seed. The seven-seed in the Midwest region will be Utah State going up against a surprise bunch in 
Fred Hoiberg's Nebraska Cornhuskers. They are also trending up in the right direction. They're on the cusp of winning 20 games for the first time in a long time up there in Lincoln. And the two-seat being Tennessee, who did uh, just struggle with Missouri a few days back. They needed a late surge in the second half to hold off the winless Missouri Tigers in conference play. Uh, they'll be up against Quinnipiac right now in Joe Lunardi's bracketology projections. So that is the full rundown in the recent bracketology. This came out two days ago. We'll probably get an updated look uh, coming up on Monday morning. I might dive into that next week at some point, depending on what the breaking news might be or what the big-time news will be. Uh, just a reminder here on the last four ins, last four outs, uh, the next four outs and the last four buys. The last four buys is New Mexico, Nebraska, A&M, Nevada. The last four ins, Butler, Gonzaga, Seton Hall, and Ole Miss, all the playing games there. The first four outs, Providence, Utah, Cincinnati, and Wake Forest. And the next four out, Colorado, Villanova, St. John's, and Pittsburgh. So that's the full rundown. I'm sure we'll have plenty more college basketball tech talk throughout the coming weeks because March Madness is right around the corner. The Big 12 tournament is right around the corner, as well as the SEC tournament. There should be a lot of hoops talk over the next month or so. Okay, we ran a little bit long there on the Shane Dennis Show on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. So we are still going to get to the Twitter question. We're just going to do it to open up hour number two with Chance Lebo, where we also will do one of our favorite segments of What Grinds My Gears. That's coming up on ESPN Wichita 92.3 FM. Wichita's new sports leader, ESPN Wichita, 92.3 FM, KKGQ, Newton. Spring.